Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of Jacked Radio. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome onto the podcast my good friend, Dr. Emily Burke. I was introduced to Emily through my girlfriend, as Emily is one of my Emily's best friends. And I've had numerous conversations with her over the years about various aspects of mental health, psychology, and self-care and development. Emily is a clinical psychologist, and in the tumultuous times that we find ourselves in right now during the coronavirus pandemic, I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to pick Emily's brains and speak about how we can better understand our minds when it comes to our values, how we pursue them, proactive self-care, building ways of developing our mental and emotional resilience, and learning to show a bit more compassion, especially when things are difficult. Looking after our mental health is really important on a day-to-day basis anyway, before we even consider a global pandemic. And I'm certain that whoever listens to this will enjoy this as much as I did, and be able to step back and connect the dots of how we can better look after our minds in the same way that we might look after our bodies or even other people. So please welcome onto the podcast, Dr. Emily Burke. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your Sunday on the bank holiday to uh, to come on the podcast and chat to me today. I'm absolutely delighted to be on the podcast and so flattered to be asked because I'm in great company, really inspiring oh, thank company you. of the people who've already been on. And do I have to follow your mum's one of this? You, yeah, you, so oh. you can have to like you're gonna have to do something crazy with very little preparation like my mum has a habit of doing and do like sign up to do a marathon with like four <laughs> months training god this is going to be a tough gig I'll do my best <laughs> but I think I'm going to be a big letdown after that <laughs> not at all not at all um so for people listening could you tell us a little bit about what you do for a living of course yeah so I'm a clinical psychologist and to demystify that a little bit What a clinical psychologist does is tailor evidence-based talking therapies to the person or the people that they're meeting with and really making sure that you tailor that to them. So there's so many different factors to take into account there, but ones that come to mind in my work would be how much distress are they experiencing um, and kind of what would they envision in terms of what they want to be different in their life for the better. So really being attuned to the therapy goals they're coming with too, to make it a shared project, if you like. And then all of that was sensitivity to them as a person, not existing in a vacuum, but existing kind of and surrounded by their context. So whether that be the development in terms of their lifespan so far, or the the social relationships that they're embedded in, family, friends, partners, um, and also cultural context and the richness that comes with that. Um, And since qualifying as a clinical psychologist, I've chosen to specialise in working with children, adolescents and their families. So uh, I love many things about doing that work. You always know where you stand. Teenagers will always tell you whether they're finding what you're doing helpful. Um, But I think when I look back at what's led me here, I think it's really being passionate about working with young people at what I'd be thinking of as teachable moments. So times when they reach a crossroads in their mental health journey and that if together you get it right as in them feeling heard cared about and empowered to think about new ways of thinking and coping then you can really make such a positive difference together in then what comes next in their mental health journey so that's in a nutshell what I see the role of a clinical psychologist being that sounds pretty amazing and yeah. in terms of how work has changed in the last kind of nine or 10 weeks that we've been in lockdown now? Has there been any significant impact on, you know, the way that you operate or how you've managed to, I guess, keep working with these people and keep supporting them? Mm, Yeah, great question. I think on the one hand, I feel immensely lucky to still be able to access the job that I feel so passionate about. And I'm so aware that that's not the case for, for lots and lots of people out there. Um, but certainly it's, it's involved the, the adjustment um, that's, that's needed really at times like this. So um, my week at the moment is, is divided in two. So for one half of the week, I'm working from home and involved in lots of team meetings via all the virtual platforms that everyone is, is wrapping their heads around at the moment and trying to think about how materials that would have been delivered to sixth form students to promote their mental health in-person workshops can be translated to being 
online resources that can still reach people in their homes because schools obviously aren't aren't up and running at the moment and then thinking about how can we not let that be a permanent barrier while all of this goes on and the other half of the week I'm kind of in a hospital working there in person supporting young people and then that involves all the physical adjustments of um, getting to grips with wearing PPE and feeling confident around that um, and also still trying to have that thread running through both parts of the week whether working from home or working in person of keeping that that humanity to it that human connection um, which I think can be really challenging when you're not physically with a person and um, or when they're experiencing lots of emotional distress and um, but that's really the the gauntlet that's been laid down for for psychologists and and, and healthcare professionals in general at the moment isn't it um, so I think my adaptation to what's going on right now is definitely a work in progress and it's just a case of doing doing your best in, in the circumstances that you're in really absolutely I, I think it's definitely something i i'd never considered that there's you know roles outside of emergency medicine and itu and potentially the the kind of uh, higher traffic areas of hospitals um outside of there people also have to adjust to wearing ppe mm. um which is never something i i, I would have thought about when it comes to um psychologist working in hospital too me neither <laughs> not until <laughs> all of this started um but it's it's amazing that that human connection still can come through there's a lot you can do with your eyes and upwards to yeah. still manage to communicate with someone and i think there's something really leveling i think there can be this power imbalance and there is this power imbalance when you're delivering a therapy that someone's putting all that trust in you and particularly when it's a young person and I think there can be something almost helpful about facilitating that connection that they know at the end of the day, you're still someone who's navigating the global pandemic that, that we're all going through at the moment. And yes, people are affected by it to differing degrees, but that is something unifying. And I think it's something that you can find moments of lightness in together and moments of humor. Um, even if that means that they're saying, I have not understood what you're saying because you're your mask is really obscuring your mouth at the moment. <laughs> um, so I've, I've really been struck by that challenge, but also kind of, yeah, finding the moments of lightness and human connection in it too. I think that's a really, a really nice way to kind of move into the first point that, um, you know, we, we spoke um, before we started recording the podcast and, you know, the, the general direction that we're going to take it in is talking about how we can take care of our, our mental health and how we can be mindful about that during uh, during this time. And a part of the the kind of, I guess, the psychological challenge for me, as I imagine it has been for a lot of people, is the fact that potentially we've had things that form a very kind of close part of our identity taken away from us because of something external. And that's definitely affected my mental health and it's been adjustment that, an adjustment that I've had to make. Um, and it's very much challenged the, not not the values that I have, but in how I pursue them. And I think one, one thing that we, we spoke about last time, which I think is a good place to start is how could we look at this in a way that could help us kind of during this time, but also after lockdown in terms of what our values are and how we go about actually pursuing them. I like this. We're absolutely starting with just <laughs> in the, at the deep end. <laughs> and huge, but, but I like it because it's, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. I think that what these current horrendous times have really forced us all to acknowledge is just how small our own personal sphere of influence and control really is um, and how fragile what we thought of as normal has become. You know, the way that we lived our daily lives has been called into question and made impossible in many ways. And then how disorientating that can feel when we try to consider, well, what's my life direction right now? And, and how do I stay true to the things that I've always held to be important, even in these really challenging circumstances um and i'm really aware that when we're speaking about values and goals there might be kind of two camps of people the one who are thinking like values goals those are really high-minded ideas and right now i'm firefighting every day and, and i don't have time to think about that 
And there may also be another camp of people who are very kind of mindful about what their goals are, but they're finding that it's something that they're almost beating themselves over the head with and just feeling guilty about at every turn. Um, so hopefully you and I can have a conversation that um, puts a different spin on it and kind of opens up thinking about values and goals in a, in a non-threatening way. Um, so I suppose to bring it right back to the basics of what we even mean by these concepts and to make them accessible and applicable to everyday life, um, in, in my work, I really enjoy drawing on an approach called acceptance and commitment therapy or, or ACT for short. Um, and that offers us really helpful ways of keying into these ideas. So a value being, in essence, what do we stand for? What do we want to be standing for when we think of the bigger picture of our lives? And in that respect, thinking about a value as like a compass, the idea that when we think about what we hold dear, what our values are, it's thinking about what direction do I want to be guided by when I live my life with the understanding that just like with a compass, you can never tick off north. With a value, it's we can never tick off being a loving partner or we can never tick off um, physical fitness. However many captions there are out there about like completed it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's something that we will be led by, but that we can't fundamentally say we've achieved and that, that can be filed away. Um, so I think that that's a really helpful place to start because what a value is, is saying, I declare to myself and to those around me perhaps that I'm committed to leading a life that's consistent with these things. And of course, that is then inherently subjective. What's really high on my priority list, you might not care about at all. It might not even feature on yours and, and vice versa. But with that starting place, then that attitude can flow really nicely into goal setting and what we mean by a goal. So it allows us to drill down and think really practically about, well, if I hold this value to be dear in my life and I want to live a life that's led by that, what small things can I actually be doing on a day-to-day -day basis to, to be true to that, really? So whereas a value can be thought of as like a compass that guides the way, goals are things that we can tick off, things that we can say we've achieved. So I like to think of them as like milestones or road signs along the way that can, that can help us to not get lost, even on days where we do feel a bit lost in, in terms of our life direction. Um, so I suppose to kind of speak more specifically to the really important point you were raising with all of that in mind, I suppose that just to be highlighting that this may be as horrible as this situation is in many ways, an opportunity to hit the reset button and reconnect with our values and to reconnect with how are we going about setting goals and are we being fair on ourselves? Um, and so just a, a kind of one thought to share on that is lots of us, as you alluded to, might realise at this time, oh, wow, I was really narrowly defining what my values are. And as a result, I was investing my identity and my self-worth in a really narrow portion of my life that actually isn't fair on the, the whole person that I actually am. So whilst health is absolutely a, um, a really important area of values to hold, whether that be physical, psychological or spiritual, there's also a whole lots of other domains. So whether that be relationships and love, how we and how we carry ourselves within those relationships, work, whether that be paid, unpaid, being a student, volunteering, household chores can come in there. That is definitely work. Um, another whole area can be play, which is a weird word or sounds like a weird word to use as an adult, but you know, play can involve relaxation, creativity, um, and so many important kind of life-affirming things. So I suppose, and maybe this would be more relevant to, to speak directly to the people who are so into their physical fitness that are your listeners, um, is that yes, health is important, but firstly, don't narrowly define it as only physical fitness. And also our health, as important as it is, is one of a whole series of domains that we can, um, that we can commit to holding dear and wanting to live a life consistent with. 
if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, completely. And I, I think it's it's definitely been the the theme of how this time has developed for me, where you know I've been able to take a step back. And I think perhaps because I I practice a lot of these things, um, or I have done consistently in the past, it's been fairly straightforward. So it's nice to to expand on some of this. And um, I, I really like the idea of it. So it's funny how a lot of we work in, you know, very different sectors of, of healthcare, mm. but a lot of what we do is in, in terms of the, the principles very similar. So looking at the, the values as a compass as to, you know, what's the purpose of doing this, and then we can use things like smart goals to set those kind of road markers along the way, um, which is exactly what we do on a day-to-day basis with uh, with the people we work with too. And I think the thing that I really like about all of this is it it kind of it takes the pressure off this message of wanting to or uh, perhaps feeling like you need to be progressing or thriving all the time right now. And that's it. Certainly was a I think I perhaps had the blinkers on at the start of all of this where that was the only focus but you know taking some time to reflect on it I think it's really important for people to see that it's it's okay to not be doing that and perhaps there's some more fundamental things to be taken care of right now yeah I I couldn't agree more um and I think we would be so negligent if we didn't say multiple times during this conversation that reality check is that the goalposts have been moved on us um, and we have to start from a position of being kind to ourselves you know gyms have closed big events have been cancelled I had lots of uh, loved ones who were motivated by for example marathon training and that's been like a rug pulled out from underneath their feet if you've been furloughed if you've lost your job previous standards cannot apply at this time um, and, you know, 100% being goal-directed does not have to mean flourishing or, or, or thriving. It can be, I think, for, for, for me at a personal level right now, uh, and hopefully this resonates with other people too, it's about that feeling of staying orientated to what's important to you, staying motivated, and sometimes some days feeling like you can stay afloat and not feel like you're just drifting and, 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 and rudderless. Um, So I think, you know, to return to that idea of what we mean by a value from before, the idea that we can never fundamentally say we've ticked off a value, I realize that that could sound like quite a pessimistic or demotivating (laughs) idea, but actually it's kind of energizing and reassuring right now because it's saying, well, if in general we can never tick off a value, let alone during a global pandemic, then it's about pairing it right back and thinking, what small things can I be doing right now, starting from today? And starting with what's the smallest, easiest step I can do to start back on that road again, whatever that road is for you. Um, and giving yourself, I suppose, an easy win to begin with, to help you keep going and help you stay feeling like you're on track. Um, and I think such a big part of that, and I'm so glad that you took away one of my psychology cliches and just said smart goals before I had to um, because I think it's really important to speak about that for a bit and they can you know that smart goals phrase can get a bit of a bad rep these days because it can sound almost like corporate jargon like a thought shower or blue sky thinking but it is definitely not pyramid selling (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's when we actually remind ourselves of what the acronym means it can be such a helpful set of guideposts to think about is the goal that I've set for myself fair on me and is it going to be something that will motivate me or will it only be something that I end up feeling guilty about or feeling like I've failed before I've even begun um I've already said a word about kind of realism but I think that is such an important part of the smart goal process because to set a goal really is not only to lay out what you want to what you want to achieve and work towards also naturally what comes with that is saying what am i willing in terms of perhaps unpleasant experiences to make room for in my life so that i can work towards this goal so i'm completely assuming here because i'm definitely 
not doing your job, Jack, but I'm thinking with, if it's physical fitness, it might be the physical discomfort of feeling breathless if you, if you go for a, for a jog. Or it might be um, difficult memories and difficult emotional experiences of previous times when you might have tried and felt like you didn't, um, you didn't achieve a fitness goal and kind of opening yourself up. That if you're setting a goal around physical fitness, then you're saying, I'm going to open myself up to being willing that some things that come with that won't be easy to, to feel in my mind or in my body. And the reason I bring that up now is particularly in a time like this, if we're setting goals, we need to be asking ourselves, is it fair to expect this of my mind and my body right now? And if it is, then great. And if it isn't, then set a different goal. Um, rather than feeling like you're the problem because people are going under, I'm going to be the next person to say the word unprecedented. <laughs> I don't think we ever realised how much that word would be used until recently, but we are in unprecedented times and it means that you know, the goals that we might have wanted to set just and live our lives by um, are unlikely to apply here. So I think I've been reflecting a lot lately on um, the idea that setting modest goals right now or more modest goals than you would be used to, that isn't admitting defeat, it's just pragmatism. Um, and I feel like we could make jacked radio branded bumper stickers of that or something. Cause <laughs> I think that for me, that's a really helpful thing to remind myself of. And I hope that that's, um, something helpful for, for your listeners to hear as yeah, well. For sure. And I think it's a really nice way to, to also combine that with looking at your, your own health as not a narrow um, a narrow focus thing, which I, I do think is something that I've, I've been very keen to talk about more. And, you know, my thoughts are that it, it doesn't just encompass physical health or um, mm -hmm. potentially some of the stuff that people associate with um, the, you know, the world of fitness, that it's essentially physical health and what you eat. Um, it encompasses a whole lot more than that. You know, like you said, it's mental health and spiritual health and the health of your relationships, financial health, um, social health, all those sorts of things. And maybe this is a time where perhaps if we have had some of these resources taken away from our daily lives, that we can put some more energy into other things that are going to improve our lives in a positive way um, and impact our health, but in you know maybe a different way than we expected. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's about the meaningfulness of what we're setting out to do um, completely. So if, if one area of your life has had to be, um, has been kind of put under more threat than others by, by COVID-19, then it's about thinking, what's meaningful to me? And why would I be motivated to put in the hard work? Um, I think something that I'm just gonna go ahead and name in case it's going on for any of your listeners, is the idea that am I working towards this, this goal because it's important to me and it's part of what I want to stand for? Or am I working towards it or have I been pre-lockdown because I want to be seen to be working towards it or because that person that I admire works towards it or because that person that I feel quite competitive um, in my relationship with them is working towards it and I want to feel a sense of... Um, winning or satisfaction of, of, of being on a level with, with someone else. Um, and I think that is a difficult thing to ask ourselves, but I think that that is something that could, can be part of the rat race of, of what normal life was. And this can be a time to really ask ourselves, am I working towards things that matter to me? Because if I am, then it means that the hard work at a difficult time like this will feel worth it and I'll be motivated by it. And if, I've, if I'm not really, if it's not meaningful to me and if, if my reasons for pursuing that um, were more about the kind of social audience that we carry around in our mind, even when we're working on something by ourselves, then of course you're not going to feel motivated to pursue it now. Um, so I think it can be a time to, to really sit with, with ourselves and to use this time to think about what's worth the hard work right now for us personally. Definitely. And on, on the note of potentially, um, you know, things being challenging and having to do some hard work right now, one thing that we've spoken about is this 
concept of the stress bucket. Um, mm-hmm. Could you, um, we, we kind of talked about it in slightly different ways. So could you explain um, a little bit more about this, this stress bucket? Yeah, absolutely. And then you can bring in your kind of perspective on it. Yeah. We, we can have a debate. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. No, of course not. Um, so yeah, of course, the stress bucket is something that's, that I think about a lot because I find it to be something that's really helpful in my, um, in my clinical work, but also as a way to check in with yourself. So it's, it's, a, it's a buy one, get one free thing to, for us to be thinking about. So the stress bucket is a metaphor um, that we can be using to think about the stresses and strains that any one of us is experiencing at any given time right now and what our personal capacity is to tackle those stresses and strains. So I suppose a helpful place to start would be picturing whatever version of a bucket comes to mind for you um, and then thinking about water pouring into that bucket as life's stresses, the things that that come our way that can really um, bring us anxiety, bring us sadness, bring us irritability, any difficult emotions like that. And that water pouring in can range from anything to, you know, a, a, a bad night's sleep all the way to, I don't know, say a global pandemic um, and anything in between. So the stress bucket reminds us that we need to ask ourselves, what's my personal water level at the moment? So at times where we're more relaxed, the water level will be lower and it will feel manageable. But there will be times and probably a lot more times more recently when we feel like our bucket, our capacity to manage stresses and strains is brimming. You know, it's absolutely stocked full of of that water. And whilst the right amount of stress can be good for us, more than that, and we begin to, to get into really tricky situations in terms of our emotional well-being. So it's so important then to think about two key things that follow on from that. One being, what are my own personal telltale signs that the water is spilling over, that I'm, have, I'm ending up finding myself doing things and behaving in ways in an effort to stem the tide, but that aren't so helpful for me and aren't kind of serving me in my life past the short term. So it might be um, finding yourself withdrawing from other people um, for more than just having a bit of peace and quiet, but withdrawing in a kind of systematic way. It might be about finding yourself, you know, for someone, their bucket might be spilling over and they might notice that they, you know, snap or speak defensively to someone that they really care about. And it can also be turning to smoking, drinking, other substances as a way to try and numb the fact that your stress bucket just feels like it's strained way beyond its capacity don't worry it's not all doom and gloom because the second thing that flows from that is thinking okay so we're all you know we're all vulnerable to having that bucket spilling over experience but what are my personal uh, like pressure valves or pressure taps that are bolted onto my stress bucket and allow me to relieve that stress in a personally meaningful healthy helpful way Um, and that allow our water level or our stress level to come down a little or enough to allow us to have a clearer head and to make decisions in the way that we'd want to be. Um, And, you know, in preparation for speaking with you about this, Jack, I was thinking about people's relationship with exercise and physical fitness. Um, And, and you know, you can probably speak to this far better than I can, but it made me think that for some people, um, exercise can be one of those amazing pressure valves, one of those things that's a huge stress reliever and they can just kind of forget their worries and and do that exercise. But I think, and perhaps this is perpetuated by aspects of social media culture where actually for some people, the pressure of physical fitness and exercise can be like the water pouring in. Um, And I think, I wonder whether for the clients you work with, whether that's a really important place to be doing a bit of kind of self-scrutiny and asking what your relationship with fitness is, and whether it's something that gives you strength or whether it feels like an attack on on your strength and and kind of something that fills up the bucket more. 
it's uh, it's, it's definitely been a I think a balancing act for a lot of people where like you said I think you you touched on what I was going to say really nicely that for a lot of people it is stress relief but then equally on the other side I, I do think there has been for some people an overwhelming feeling of pressure to do things mm. um one thing just nerding out on uh, training science as well as that's you know ex- exercise and physical exertion are also a physical stress on your body too mm. um so for a lot of people i think it's been learning that you know it's okay to not be exercising and not be training on some days because that's also looking after yourself and you know recovering from a physical stress to to add a pressure gauge onto what is filling up the bucket for you but i think it, it has been a time where some people may have had to reevaluate what they're doing right now and learn to be okay with doing things that kind of tick the box for them and take care of their health on a on a more basic level because of you know access to things or maybe exploring different ways of doing things mm-hmm. um it's certainly been a time where i've had to draw upon a, a much bigger toolbox of things to help people um because we don't have a nice four walls full of kit laid out in front of us Um, so I think it it has been a time where people have explored maybe more options which I think in itself has has been a has been a good thing for a lot of people where perhaps some things that they weren't aware were available to them or that they enjoyed things like there's been a lot of online pilates and Mm -hmm. uh, yoga classes and even just getting out into the countryside for walks um and you know things like you know Joe Wicks has been doing stuff like the the PE um the PE things where I've, I've had converse, I had conversations at the start of this about people asking me if I was worried about Joe Wicks and <laughs> I was a bit like, I, I do something completely different to Joe Wicks. So no, um, I think it's great that, you know, I, I have clients who are also doing that with their kids, but then doing the training stuff with me. So it, it has been a very much a, a balancing act, but I think what it's also allowed people to do is perhaps broaden their perspective on how they can take care of their health. And I think the, the biggest, I think the biggest pressure has been this, the fitness world on social media, even as someone who is, um, responsible for helping other people, there's, there has been a lot of kind of pushy pressure, um, even for personal trainers getting mentorship through this time, there's been a lot of pushing on that front too. And I think it's, it's, good to see that there's I think there's a bit more of a handle on it but it's it's taken a couple of weeks to get there mm-hmm. um but I do think it has been an important balancing act for a lot of people and one thing that I, that I did want to touch on is that you know this the the idea of the stress bucket I think is a really nice way of visualizing how we can be impacted by stress and how we can start to manage it and one thing that that has certainly been important for me is learning how to do that regardless of if I'm feeling like I'm up there with a full bucket or not. So seeing it as more of a long-term investment into mental and emotional strength. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I think that if you can at a time like this, I suppose some of the background noise of what our daily lives were have been taken away. So it could be seen as absolutely an opportunity to to practice the essentials and to practice the things that are good for us and and something that we actually will be happy to carry with us at whatever stage this is all over and when things when at least when things get relaxed and we have more more freedoms those basic skills for how we can look after ourselves that that we can kind of bring forward into into whatever comes next. So yeah, absolutely kind of reframing this as far as we can as an opportunity to, to get in touch with what's important for our, for our physical health and our mental health. Um, I think that's a really, a really great perspective on it. And on, on the note of, you know, doing things to take care of, of our health when it comes to self care, because I think this is something that, that we'll go into a lot more um, in terms of the, you know, the various aspects and, and things that we can do to take care of our, our own self-care. But what, what are some big boxes that you think people can look to, look to kind of uh, fill during this time? Mm. I think I absolutely will kind of maybe move on to thinking about some things to check in with whether you're doing or not. But I also think that a really important place for me to start is 
maybe counterintuitively by taking a step back. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, yes, these are unprecedented times, no two ways about it. But equally, me, you, everyone listening has been through challenging times in their life before. They are likely to have looked very different from this, but they've been through things and they've come through things. So I suppose a really important thing for me to put out there first is me not leaping in as an expert, but rather kind of reminding people of, um, I suppose, an empowered and a solution-focused approach, which is thinking about what's worked for me before and are there any elements of that that have worked for me that I can bring back online for myself now, even though the context is really quite different? And um, so that's something really important that I want to put out there because it's not just, you don't have to be a psychologist to, to be in tune with what works for you at a level. Um, but yeah, absolutely in terms of other things to, to make sure that you're taking into account in your everyday life. I think like so much of what we've been talking about today, it's about bringing it right back to basics. Even things that you're like, yeah, I've got that covered. Just double checking anyway. Um, and of course that relates to sleep. So being in a routine with that in terms of when you start winding down to go to bed, the time that you're waking up, making sure that you're fueling your body with nutritious food rather than seeing that as a, another chore to do in a day. And, and obviously regular physical exercise. Um, I'm really mindful that people will have lots of things in a day that they just have to do and they just have to get on with those things. There might be responsibilities or chores or obligations, but also kind of thinking with yourself about in a given day, in a given week, am I making room for activities that are likely to boost my mood? I think lots of people right now are either feeling crippled by how bored they are or <laughs> feeling frenetically busy but at the end of the day they think back and think what have I done like what's filled my time and any you know you might oscillate between those depending on which hour of the day that you're in um, so in terms of the evidence base for if you're struggling with you know low mood feeling apathetic feeling tired even if you've not used your body as much as usual would be looking at what we call behavioral activation, which is a fancy way of saying, are we doing mood boosting activities on a regular basis? The activities that are by no means a quick fix and they don't change fundamentally what we're going through, but can they give us a chance of experiencing a better day? So we could be thinking of another acronym of ACE activities. So kind of activities that give us a chance to experience achievement, feeling connected to other people and to ourselves and also enjoyment, the act of doing something just because it's fun or because you're in it for its own sake. Um, and those three things, if we find time each day to do a bit of each of those, it gives us a chance to feel perhaps a little bit less low in our mood, a little bit less fatigued, um, together with you know all of the lifestyle things that I spoke to briefly in terms of sleep and nutrition and things. Um, and I think that other people may have come across that enjoyment idea. They might be familiar with it as um, flow activities, if someone what it's spoken to as, or anything that you can do that leaves you feeling like in the zone and immersed um, and kind of you're lost in it. Um, and I think that Adults aren't as good at it as children. Um, children are absolute pros um, at play. Um, and I think it's so important, whatever age you are, to carve out time for that. Um, and the rationale behind all of that, not that fun needs a rationale, <laughs> obviously, but is that if we're thinking about it as a, as a, coping, as a coping skill, it's, as I say, it's not about deleting the negative. But what it is about is building, if you like, a personal reservoir of positive mood boosting experiences, both to, you know, enjoy in the day and get something out of, but also 
I call it a personal reservoir because then it's something we can draw on when things do get tough for us. Um, and I think that, you know, just speaking from my personal experience, as, you're, as you will be acutely aware of, Jack, I'm an intensely amateur and intensely enthusiastic grassroots women's football player. <laughs> Emphasis on the intensely amateur. And for me, although, you know, we're not talking the World Cup and we're not necessarily even talking winning matches sometimes, that's something that really, um, in my life, for me, ticks all three of those boxes because my motivation is, it, it is you know, I want to do this training drill because I don't want to let my teammates down um, because, you know, we all have this, you know, these amazing bonds with each other as well. I certainly get immersed in it um, and have a great laugh while I'm doing it and to see small changes in, very small changes uh, in my technique are really, really satisfying and kind of do make me feel better about myself and about having tried something kind of outside my comfort zone. So everyone will have their own personal examples of those. Um, and they may be at a much higher level too <laughs> at doing them. But I suppose I just wanted to bring it to life and think about doing small activities like that aren't frivolous. They really are part of the bedrock of emotional well-being. Um, so I, yeah, I'd really urge people to make sure that they're almost scheduling in time for those things. It's uh, I can certainly connect on the football front as well, because I don't know if you know this, but when uh, when we were in, I think it was our third year, we started an intramural football team. Um, and there was, I think it was seven aside, and there was 12 of us on the team. And to give you some perspective about how experienced we were, I think three of us had played football for any length of time. <laughs> and um, we we just did it for having fun with our mates and we would regularly lose by more than 10 goals and <laughs> at the end of the season our goal difference was minus 39 goals um, <laughs> but it was so satisfying doing that and I, I think it's for me what it what it really highlights is you know looking back on my own experiences I've played rugby for a long time you know again at a, a very local amateur level um, but even even on the days where you know I was perhaps feeling a little low um, going and doing that was always always a bit of a mood booster, um, mm -hmm. you know, because it, it was an activity that that gave you a lot. Whether that is um, you know connecting with others or doing it just for the enjoyment, um, and I, I think it's been something that's it's definitely been hammered home that even on the days when perhaps you don't feel like doing anything, when you do feel really low, um, maybe just picking something, you know, a lot a lot easier in terms of what's the easiest when you can get, whether that's making your bed or going for a walk around the block or just something smaller to kind of kick that off a little bit, I think has been a really important thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's one of the hardest things to learn in terms of if you are struggling and feeling low in your mood or just not feeling up for it, not feeling into doing whatever it is. Yeah, whether it be something small around the house. You know, for some people it could be, I just don't feel like having a shower today. But other people it would be, I don't feel like doing that workout or doing that task at work. And that, that I know I will enjoy, or I know in theory I enjoy, but I don't know, I'm just not feeling into it. It could absolutely be that about setting a smaller goal within that. So I often... Um, think about it as a skill to say, I'm going to try it for five minutes. Because that means you're kind of bargaining with yourself is saying, you can even set an alarm if you want to, but I'm going to try this thing that has a chance of boosting my mood for five minutes. If five minutes in, it genuinely isn't helping me, then I have permission to stop. If on the outside chance that you're enjoying it, then you keep doing it after the five minutes. And more often than not, it is the latter rather than the former. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think what you encapsulated so well is that getting over the initial, the inertia of, of just thinking, oh, and just doing and, and kind of on some days, the doing will have to come first. On some days, if we were to wait until we feel like it, we would never do it. And other days are much easier 
to flow into doing all of these activities. And other days it's a real grind and we have to do something in the faith that feelings and motivation may follow after. It's uh, it's really interesting speaking about that because that pretty much encapsulates the way that I approach my own um, physical training. And it was it was really interesting having a. It was actually a conversation with Emily's mum, who said, "Are you you so motivated doing all that training in a week?" And mm-hmm. I said, "Honestly, I never really feel motivated to do it." Um, but it's that that you know, just warm up or just put your kit on. And then see how you feel. And then, okay, so just, okay, start warming up, right? And go set up the things outside. Well, now they're set up. I've been feeling all right so far. I'll just carry on with the rest of it. And it's, I think, having a bit of, almost having a bit of faith and knowing that it is, you know, it's an activity that does, kind of going back to what we said at the start, it it does sit well with your compass, with your values, Mm -hmm. that this might be, it might be overcoming a bit of a challenge on the day, but you know, in a way that's, it's something that is, it's within our control, um, in a time that, you know, potentially a lot of other things aren't. Um, so doing that may well give us a lot of positivity in a number of different ways, not just for having done the activity that we said we would do, but also in that it's given us something positive. We might get a release of endorphins from doing whatever it is that we've said we'd do, or it might be the fact that we've put some hard work into something that's really valuable to us? Mm. I mean, this is like my own therapy session, really, because (laughs) uh, it's incredibly helpful to hear that. um, And I'm sure it was for Emily's lovely mum, Julie, to hear that even people who um, motivate others to to, um, prioritise their physical well-being have days when they really struggle with that and they find ways to overcome it. Um, so that's incredibly helpful for me to hear. Um, There's, um, actually, <laughs> just to interject for a second as well, my, one of my colleagues, Sam Bacon, um, put out a really good post about listening to the right sort of music um, before you start doing something. So this mood boosting thing that music can do to you, um, you know, when you, you know, I'm, I'm sure most people listening will have songs that when they listen to them, it takes them somewhere different and it might be um, a place of focus. It might be a place of excitement, but, you know, using that as almost like a catalyst or a vehicle to get there um, has been something really helpful as well. Yeah. The power of music in every part of life right now is, is just immense. And yeah, particularly kind of getting in, in the zone, hyping yourself up to, to give something a go, um, whether that be metal or whether it be uh, some quite cheesy chart-based things, or for me personally, some hip hop, some R and B. I think I think I hadn't actually thought about that before, but I did a Joe Wicks this morning, and the music was pivotal to even bothering <laughs> to even bothering putting on leggings, <laughs> putting on shoes. <laughs> much, what I want to know is. How much of a contrast was the music to Joe Wicks? Uh, Considerable. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's, it's it's the only way to do it really. Um, Sam also made a joke about how I listen to classical music when I train, which I genuinely do sometimes. Some people might be surprised to hear that because I'm such a metalhead. It's surprising (laughs) what classical music can do to you as well. Um, Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I think something that we've we've touched on a little so far is um, being compassionate, and I think definitely for those out there who are who spend a lot of their time being compassionate to others, perhaps this is a time where we can learn to be more compassionate to ourselves. Um, I don't know; it's something that you spoke to me about how potentially people who are giving care a lot of the time um, might not focus so much on giving themselves some care as well. Um, so could we kind of go into how we can maybe be a little bit more compassionate to ourselves? Yes, please. <laughs> I think that you kind of, you summarise that really well because I think it's important for anyone to be in tune with how we can be kinder and, and gentler with ourselves. But perhaps most of all for those who, whether because it's just part of their temperament and part of their way being socially, or as you say, because they have, really significant and parental other caring responsibilities um kind of really zooming in on this is something that's massively important um i think one thing 
that I've noticed that I think is a small positive to come out of all of this is, I don't know about you, but before, you know, all of, of lockdown started, I think I was definitely in the swing, as were most people I knew, of kind of starting conversations with, how are you doing? Yeah, good. How are you? Great. And it was almost like something that you just got out of the way at the beginning of a conversation. And there's something about the enormity um, and kind of like the existential threat of what we're all going to that has somehow ushered in a time where people ask how you're doing and they really mean it. It's not an offhand reflex thing. It's they want to know. And then people are finding themselves way more able to be like, God, I've had a really tough day or I'm really struggling with, with X right now. Um, so I think that's something that I've really noticed that's for the positive. Um, but absolutely, I think that idea that I'm sure will be familiar to lots of people of like the oxygen mask on a plane about putting your own on first before you can put someone else's on. And for lots of people that feels like going right against the grain of who they are, but it isn't selfish to invest in your own well-being and actually being in a place where you're not feeling frazzled and where you are feeling like you can hold yourself in mind without judgment is a prerequisite for being able to support other people anyway. Um, and this, I mean, you know what a fan of everything that Brené Brown does. I am a huge, huge fangirl of hers. Um, but there's loads of her work that speaks to this about how scary it can be to put yourself out there and, and seek support from loved ones, but how restorative and actually essential it is to do that. Um, and I think it's so important. And I certainly took away from absolutely eating up everything that she's written and, and, and every time she's spoken in a TED talk is that it is an act of strength and of courage to admit that you're struggling rather than a weakness. And that actually for a moment to revisit the idea of values, if as for many people, yours is a value or one of your values is about how you carry yourself in relationships and wanting to be kind and wanting to be a good friend, then actually we cannot be a good friend, partner, relative to those around us unless we are willing to be vulnerable with them in the same way that we'd hope that they would be with us in reverse. Um, so actually being able to be kind to yourself in terms of seeking support, whether that be professional or, or in your social network, is part of being the good person for others and the, the support system for others that you would want to be. So not only is it good for you, but it also just makes sense to do that. Um, and, yeah. and I think a definitely a big part of being, being compassionate to, to ourselves, for me anyway, has been looking more at self-care as not just the fluff and you know it's it's not just being sat in a bath with bubbles and hot chocolate and then you're playing um <laughs> it's it's more about you know the the, the self-care and respect that we give to ourselves and trying not to be it's it's you know not being like self-flagellating with self-care and like almost beating ourselves down with it but more looking at things like setting boundaries um and things like potentially having some tough love for ourselves in times that we might have to front up to things that make us anxious and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Lord knows I love Orinoco flow and Enya as much as the next person, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes self-care will absolutely, you know, for, for that person as an individual will absolutely chime with the, frothy cozy image of self-care that's that's more out there in the public eye you know yeah bubble baths galore and, and whatever um but there will be other ways that we can think of self-care that actually are quite a divergence from from that cozy image um we can be thinking about self-care actually as anything that we do intentionally to foster and grow our physical and or mental health so actually, unfortunately, that can open the door for self-care being things that are actually really challenging to navigate. Um, and I think a really prime example of that right now 
And we've already thought today about the social audience that you carry in your mind and about um, self, a bit of self other comparison, I guess, but that absolutely comes in here. So, um, you know, whether it's in real life or on in our online lives, that sense that it's actually okay to say that an account that you follow isn't bringing you joy and is actually making you feel guilty or making you feel less than because that's such a powerful dragger down of the mood and of our self-esteem. And I think another part of, I suppose what I'm speaking about is self-care as an ability to put in place interpersonal boundaries, something that I'm continually working on in myself is about being a bit of a yes person by default about, you know, part for me in the past, I thought about being enthusiastic and being a team player and being a good friend as, as being saying yes. And um, when someone asks you a favor or, you know, to a social event, uh, and sometimes actually self-care is saying no. Self-care is saying, I want a bit of time to myself or I don't have the capacity to do that right now. And that's something that I am definitely still learning. And the biggie is doing that and not apologizing. I think lots of people can get there where they put the boundary in place, but then they're like, oh, I'm really sorry, it's just. But actually it's, it's about looking out for yourself. Um, and of course there are ways and ways of, of putting that across to people, but by and large people get it because everyone is on a roller coaster right now and there'll be days where you kind of just want to do your own thing. And there will be days where you're really needy for the Zoom quizzes or whatever else is on the agenda. Um, so yes, yeah, self-care can be having difficult conversations with yourself and with others about, um, about taking a step back if you need to, particularly right now. Um, I think the learning that saying no is okay is a really important thing. And in terms of boundaries, it's, it's something that's definitely been uh, brought to the front for me, but not, not even just in terms of social media, but like you said, you know, being okay with saying no to things or saying that doesn't work for me right now, or I need to do this for myself right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but even things like, um, activities that we might be doing, um, or information that we're consuming, you know, they're things that we can also set boundaries with if they're not having the impact on our lives that we want them to have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the, the constant flow of information right now, I think this is something that's, that's come up in, in previous kind of episodes of this series, but kind of putting a limit, putting boundaries on exposure to, to the news or exposure to certain kind of um, platforms. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, putting boundaries on, you know, allow it, giving yourself permission really to, to unfollow or to, to not look at anything that brings you a sense of they're doing that thriving and that flourishing right now. And why am I not? Why am I struggling? And is, is that about me? Um, I think anything like that, even if the person who's posted it is, is being completely genuine, we can be happy and glad for people, but we don't have to engage with it if we don't want to. Um, and I think that feels like something that is a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a journey that everyone's on right now about um, checking in with where they're at and where that leaves them in relation to other people in, in, in person and more online as well. One thing that we've spoke about together and I think is a really nice way to, to round this all up today is speaking about this idea of two arrows that you've mentioned to me before. So we have one arrow that is fired on us and mm -hmm. one arrow that is fired on ourselves. And that's about as far as I can explain it. <laughs> I, and my work here is done. I, <laughs> um, no, you, you set the scene really beautifully there. Um, and I think actually when I'm now reflecting on everything we've spoken about, I think this um, really gorgeous Buddhist metaphor is something that kind of touches on a bit of all of the themes about being kind to yourself, about um, the traps of self other comparison and about kind of, yeah, being critical of yourself and how you're doing and about what we value. I think it's all really nicely wrapped up in, in this metaphor. So I hope it's, yeah, I really hope it's something that's helpful and interesting for, for your listeners to be thinking about for their own lives. So, 
this metaphor of the two arrows would put out there that, um, and this won't be news to anyone, particularly not now, is that pain in one way, shape or form is a part of being human. And that's not to say, and not to take a stance of, so deal with it, but it's a stance of saying, no one will go through life without being struck by illness, loss, grief, sadness, difficult days, any number of things like that, which means that unfortunately to live life is to live a life where you will be hit by that first arrow, the pain and suffering that, that comes up as part of life. COVID is a big fat first arrow, <laughs> um, <laughs> as I think everyone can relate to. Obviously it would be it would be irresponsible of, of you and I to say that that first arrow is evenly hitting everyone in society right now. Of course, it's disproportionately affecting certain parts of society and, and others are better off at the moment in terms of how hit by the arrow they are. But we are all being hit by that first arrow right now. And as you say, the second arrow is different because whilst the first arrow is something completely out of our control and we'd never will it to hit us, the second arrow is something that can come within our control. So the second arrow is the arrow that we can fire on ourselves when we end up struggling against the pain and the suffering that comes with the first. So to, yeah, to bring that to life a little bit more and, and make it seem less abstract, some examples of ways that we all, myself included, can hit ourselves with that second arrow are when something really negative happens, asking why me or why me and not them. It can be that inner critic or that inner bully in our minds that tells us that, that we're not doing well enough or, or we're failing. It can be the self other comparison that we've already spoken about. It could be kind of putting in place shoulds that are just really unfair, like I should be dealing with this better or I should be over this by now, but I'm not. Like, for example, if at the moment you've been furloughed or you've lost your job, you can slip into a place where you say, why am I still bothered by this? Why am I still so deflated by this situation? All of those things and many, many more things are examples, real life examples of when we end up accidentally firing the second arrow on ourselves. And I suppose it brings us to a place where, with that metaphor in mind, how on earth do we escape the trap of the second arrow? Um, and I'm really hoping I can take my own advice here too, um, is by opening ourselves up to the first arrow, not to say, oh, I'm delighted that this has happened to me, or I'm really glad about it, or I'd want this to happen, not at all, but accepting that something has come along that has impacted us potentially cruelly, and what that means is then opening the door to recognizing that we're having a really hard time. That sounds really simplistic, but I suppose the second arrow can come about when we battle against accepting that we're having a hard time. And in some way we try to push away the first arrow or we try to numb it or we try to distract ourselves from it. And that is such a natural response. But unfortunately things like avoidance, um, that frenetic busyness we've mentioned already, just to keep our mind off things, withdrawal, you know, drinking too much to try and forget or to, to be more fun or more um, good company than we actually feel like being, sleeping through the day. All of these things are the second arrow because we're struggling to accept and validate that we're just going through a really difficult time and just sitting with that and then taking a, a problem-solving acceptance and compassion driven response um, and that is where we can exacerbate the pain and the struggling that we can't control and um, with behaviors that we can actually bring under our control once we're mindful that that those are our telltale signs those are the things we end up doing and that's everyone will know I hope now that we've outlined that as part of this this podcast everyone will have a sense of what their second arrow looks like and feels like. Um, and the more awareness we can turn to what that is for us, what our hallmark is of the second arrow, the more we can be kinder to ourselves when the first one hits. And although that's 
kind of how we're wrapping things up today. I, I actually think for for me anyway, that was a nice place to start and look at this in terms of big picture thinking. And mm-hmm. hopefully what people get from this is being able to look back on all these things and maybe think about how some of that applies to themselves and how they can, you know, maybe make some changes to look after themselves and be kind to themselves during uh during what we're going through right now um and thank you so much for coming on today it has been enlightening speaking to you um, <laughs> i've really really enjoyed it and i'm glad we got to share f- stories about um amateur football as well because it's it's <laughs> a part of my past that i i miss dearly <laughs> <laughs> the unknown unspoken about past of a personal trainer <laughs> yeah it's um yeah, it's been an absolute joy to have this conversation with you. So thank you massively again for, for having me on. One of my favourite things about this episode was that by the time it got to the end, we could use everything that we'd spoke about to join the dots of the various themes of self-care and taking care of our own mental health that we'd spoken about through the episode. So I hope everyone listening got that out of it too. As always, we'd really appreciate if you shared this with your friends, your family, your colleagues, whoever you think might benefit from this right now. Give it a like, give it a follow, and please give us any feedback that you have from the episode too. We'd really, really like to hear it. I hope you enjoyed it, and I will see you in the next episode.